the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter. And what is west of west and the shadows in the east? This is Casterly Talk. Living in that west of Westeros world sometimes. Hey, everybody. We're here for another Game of Thrones rewatch. A look back at an episode in the show we all love. Sometimes you love to hate it or love to fight it. But I contend that's still passion. Uh, we are uh, now here looking at Season 3, Episode 6. So the 26th overall episode in the series out of 73. This is The Climb. As uh, we always say, if you are, uh, for whatever reason, watching the show for the first time, not this show, but Game of Thrones, and you are uh, following along with me, I do get to not only spoilers for the episodes, but plots and scenes and characters and episodes to come. We talk about that. So, just be warned. We love now, I uh, love this uh, uh, focusing on what the episode was back in the day. I, I, I love diving into the themes and lessons the episodes present. We'll do that. As always, but uh, starting with last week's episode, uh, I really also want to take some time to look at the episode. What was my thoughts then? What uh, is the legacy episode? What is it known for and kind of celebrating the episodes and uh, that way as well? So this episode, The Climb, was originally broadcast on May 5th, 2013. Alec Sakharov, I added an A at the top. That's my bad. Uh, was the director. Benioff and Weiss were the credited writers. Cinematographer was David Katznelson, and Oral Nori Oti was the editor. So, this is an episode I've been looking forward to taking a, um, a look back at because it's an episode that I can really say was an early contender for my least favorite episode back in 2013. At the time of air... Halfway through season three, yeah, I'll say it was my least favorite episode. That's changed. I've changed my viewing habits, the way I take in content like Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, how I will take in House of the Dragon, and a franchise and a saga like Star Wars that I break down weekly in Force Center. I just look at them just an entirely different way than I did back in 2013. I was plot heavy. I was dancing on the surface of the show, uh, trying to figure out the big, well, what if this happens and who will be on the throne and all the things that are fun that kept bringing us back every week. And still, mentioning House of the Dragon, I'll be wondering that too. Plot points. What's happening next? What's going to happen? But I take everything in and in, in now on, on what I hope is not even necessarily deeper level, just focusing on what the show is communicating in that particular episode. So with that said, I look at the climb a lot differently now than I do then. Also now I have the benefit of the show wrapping up and uh, little scenes, little moments. There's a necklace moment with Sansa in this episode that meant nothing to me in 2013, but uh, now means a lot. Originally, this episode was uh, the second week in a row of, of, of just kind of moving pieces around the board and slowly slowing down to analyze our characters, which is not new to Game of Thrones. But it's important to note that the fourth episode of season three, as we've been talking about, uh, and now his watch has ended, it ends with Danny's big Dracarys moment, big reveals. And episode five... That's the big Jamie Lannister, Brienne of Tarth bathtub scene. You get that perspective change on Jamie, the information, blah, 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 and it's big. It's not Dracarys big, but it's also big, and you're sitting with that. You're asking yourself questions about that. It's, it's roaming around your head. Um, Jamie's, uh, uh, Jamie's point of view is now, now living rent-free in your, in your soul. Uh, so this episode comes along, and it's about chaos. It's about the climb. We're going to talk about that. But there's a lot of pieces being moved around, a lot of things being put into place for characters that uh, it's going to lead to bigger things. And it's going to it's like a second half kickoff here uh, to get us to the second, uh, you know, get us through the second part of uh, season three. Makes sense. All that makes sense logistically. Writing wise, uh, structure wise. But when you're watching it, you know, you are you're going to feel that. And I think this episode, because chaos is a theme and uh, that runs all through it, there are a lot of 
scenes, characters, almost like one-offs. It, it's, it's a roll call of time. Again, it's, it's a bit of a resetting of the board, which is great. It's needed. 5.5 million people watched this episode in the first run, which was uh, the highest mark yet and was the fourth straight week that Game of Thrones set a record for itself. It kept breaking its own records. I think the previous uh, week we talked about 5.3 million. So now we're at 5.5 million people are watching. Season three is picking up. And I was looking at some uh, analysis uh, on um, one of the uh, Ice and Fire wikis there. I think it was the, the, just the straight up regular Game of Thrones wiki. And whoever, I, I, a lot of people can, can change those wikis, so I don't, I don't quite know who to give credit to, but they pointed out correctly that the next episode, next week, which is the ba- Baron the Maiden Fair, which is a great episode, 4.8 million. We lo- we did not retain, and that's often uh, not a reflection on episode seven, it's a reflection on episode six. I no longer consider this my uh, one of my least favorite episodes. No, I absolutely love uh, so many things in here, and we talk about what this episode is known for. But it also just... Um, you know, here I am, I, I, after episode four and Dracarys and the Unsullied marching out of uh, Astapor, I, I wanted Danny to get on a series of ships and head to King's Landing right then and there. I wanted action to happen right then and there. And, uh, you know, that's not how it works, especially in these mid-seasons here, These uh, this uh, particular run of Game of Thrones, season seven and eight start to pick up. But I think that's because, for me, a lot of things were were settled. Let's get to it. Let's get to the fighting. I, 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 was always, I would always argue in season seven, particularly, I, I, I didn't want to see Davos and Jon Snow in a boat for three weeks. Let's get to where we need to go. But we don't need to get to where we need to go in season three. Uh, the show can take its time, and patience is a lesson. And we can debate season seven when we get there. Uh, I am never going to argue with wanting more of Game of Thrones. Uh, another episode per uh, each season, seven and eight, would have been great for me. But here we are in the middle of season three. Uh, Danny's burnt down uh, the slave traders, uh, at least in one city, and we're, we're ready to go. And this episode was not ready to go. This episode was having us slow down and analyze the characters. Analyze, quite frankly, what the show is about. This is for the throne. This is the, the Game of Thrones. That's the marketing. That's the question we're asking every week. And it's a fun question to ask. Used to love coming up uh, with Lon Harris. We'd come up with the odds each week on uh, on our Screen Junkies Game of Thrones show about who's going to take the Iron Throne. That stuff's great. But uh, not what the, the show is uh, really about, what it's really trying to communicate. In this show, this particular episode, I felt, is like, let's concentrate on what all of our characters are doing. And if you want them to win the Game of Thrones, or you want them to survive, how can they possibly do that? This episode was uh, an award-winning episode for special effects. And for sound, uh, the Hollywood Post-Alliance Awards uh, uh, gave this episode a win, and the Visual Effects Society gave it a win as well. And I got to tell you, you know, as, as technology gets uh, bigger and better, the, the you know, over the, where we are now in 2021, um... You look back at some of the early seasons of Game of Thrones and you see some of the limitations they ran up against. Even later on, I, you know, I am not a... The end of season five with Daenerys and, and the dragon ride, it's not, it's not my favorite looking special effect in the show. I think that even got better. The climb itself, I think, does really, for me personally, it really stands the test of time. I don't know what you think about that. Let me know. Reach out on Twitter using the hashtag Casterly Talk. But I, I've always kind of, even watching it to today, right before I went to air, um, it, it gets me the wind, the sound effects, the fall, the near fall. Uh, heights don't get me. The fa- fear falling definitely gets me, which I guess means a fear of heights. I don't know. But so this this uh, this gets me, and it stands up, uh, stands the test of time. So that makes some sense to me. Like I said, the episode does seem to jump around a lot. Not a bad thing, especially at this point in the show. It's a resetting of the deck. So what is this episode known for? I think there's a couple things. I mentioned the climb, and it's an excellent tension-filled sequence that just uh, pairs nicely with something else this episode's remembered for. Olena Tyrell and Tywin Lannister, I think still the show, still this episode, I should say, with their one-on-one verbal duel. You would almost call it a verbal duel. It is uh, is, a... Wonderful. It's some of Game of Thrones, it's just best writing, best acting. It's it's a great scene. We're gonna talk about it. Uh, uh, Weiss, uh, uh, DB Weiss, does say in, in the uh, in the extra uh, segment on the, on uh, HBO Max, he, uh, and which is on the, the DVD Blu-rays, 
that uh, this is uh, this is the sword fight without the swords between Elena and Tywin. So definitely, this episode's remembered for that. But I think first and foremost, Baelish's chaos is a ladder speech. And going back to 2013 for me, uh, sitting there with this episode after it aired, I um, I was like a lot of people saying, well, nothing really happened in that episode, which is. Just quite frankly, like I said, never true. That is never true. Something's always happening. Not just in Game of Thrones or Star Wars, these big genre of, you know, franchises, but it, 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 every scene's telling you something. Every scene is putting something out there and moving something forward. It, it, it might be up to you to figure it out, and it might be smaller, it might be quieter, but something's going on. So, that said, the episode ends... And I sure did love Baelish's speech. And I know a lot of people love Baelish's speech. I, I have a friend that um, she has Baelish's, Baelish's speech as a, like an audio f- file. And it like pops up in her car. You'd be right along and Baelish just starts speaking. His chaos is a ladder speech. And that was in 2013, a moment I absolutely loved. And now in 2021, that is, it's it's... And it's from Baelish, so it's not necessarily a good guy's point of view. It's not necessarily true. We dealt a lot uh, last week with honor, and the show continues to deal with honor. And we're seeing Arya Stark, especially with the Brotherhood, trying to just come to terms with this definition of, of, of what is honor and what she her father's honorable, and he lost his head for it. And these uh, jackals get to keep their heads. And, and now this week we, we see them sell Gendry uh, to Melisandre. And it's, Arya is struggling with what honor is. And I think a lot about that that bathtub scene with Jamie and Bran in episode five. I think there's a lot of Bran, this, this, this oath keeper, this oath maker, this person of honor, this person uh, who wants to be treated um, and receive the, the treatment that she maybe likes to give others. And just to see... Get a whole new perspective on Jamie Lannister and a whole new twist on what honor in this land and in this world actually is. It's it's interesting to go into this week and you have Baelish's speech, which stands the test of time as a moment in the show. And it's a it's a cold, hard, perhaps evil truth, but it's a truth. I talk often about me and, and Andres Cabrera, um, who will, uh, you know, is a part of the show. We'll, we'll be back on shortly as we try to uh, move forward towards House of the Dragon and stuff. Um, Andres and I love Tywin Lannister. We're very aware he's uh, one of the bad guys. We're very aware of his faults. Very aware of the things he's done wrong and continues to do wrong up until his death. And think he probably got what he deserved. But along the way, we just love Tywin for a lot of different reasons. Number one, Charles Dance and his performances uh, time and time again, even in this episode. It's hard. You, you, you kind of um, you kind of get behind him just because of what Charles Dance brings to the role. But a lot of it, I for me, is this idea that in this particular world, I'm not saying in Earth, I'm not saying United States of America now, but in Westeros and Essos and Planetos, where, where, wherever uh, George wants to put us, Tywin is... is is doing what is what is needed to survive, what is needed to not even win. He, he maybe wants to win. He wants to keep power and control. Again, bad guy, get it. But Baelish in this moment too, this cast is a ladder speech. You hear the words and you're like, he ain't wrong. And I think a lot of the characters are learning the lessons he's talking about. I think Baelish wants to use this, uh, his his... His climb is about a, a form of power, a power he's not going to do good things with. I think if you can climb and get to the top there and you have that power and uh, power is something you can use to protect those without it is something that was just said uh, in Star Wars Visions, if you're watching Star Wars Visions, and that's a line that stuck with me from uh, the Elder uh, Star Wars Visions episode. Uh, I love that line, and, and that's... Um, so the climb itself isn't necessarily uh, bad. It's not inherently bad. It's not inherently good. The climb is the climb. And what you do at the end of that climb, if you survive it, is maybe uh, where honor comes in. That's just food for thought. Beyond the walls of Game of Thrones here. Impact on this uh, story, uh, like I said, um, it does. this episode does move pieces into place. It does. That's a fact. But... As I did in 2013 and maybe over the years even, looking at this particular episode, 
and just writing the episode off as an episode that just moves pieces into place. I, I think for me, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to myself. I'm not saying this to anyone out there. I'm saying this to myself. Um, it's, it's kind of the wrong take. A lot's going on. A lot of things that are foreshadowing things with more meaning that we love to talk about. Uh, Sam and Gilly, uh, we got that scene. He reveals he's got this dragon glass dagger. That's going to come into play not just real soon for him specifically, Sam the Slayer, but also we're going to see what that means going forward. It's going to have a lot to do with the show in season seven and eight. Roz is uh, killed. Uh, Esme Bianco, uh, tip of the cap to her and her great performance is Roz taking a one-off character and turn it into um, uh, you know a regular around these parts. Is unfortunately killed. We don't really see it. Um, not that I would have wanted to, but she's killed the hands of Joffrey. And we are spinning off wildly towards Joffrey's end. Not a lot of Joffrey in this uh, middle section of season three. But everyone else is kind of reacting to him, right? They're taking actions maybe against him. They're plotting against him. Yeah, I would even say Tywin is here to get control of Joffrey. A lot of Joffrey is still kind of the center of the, a lot of people's stories here and quests. And to actually see this, this is uh, up until this point, again, he's done a ton of things. But up until this point, he's an angry, evil boy ripping wings off bugs. Not good. We don't like that. There's an indication of deeper problems. But it's just been that. I don't want to say he's been harmless, but it's just been that. I mean, his actions have, have led to the death of people, let's be clear. But we have Tyrion learning in this episode that it wasn't Cersei that plotted to have him killed in the Battle of Blackwater Bay, Bay by Sir Mandon Moore. It was Joffrey. And we, we hear that, and you think, it's it, Joff, wow, Joffrey was willing to go that far to have someone else kill uh, his, his uncle. And then this episode ends with, with Joffrey doing this hor horrific uh, murder of Ross. Um so now we get a we we are fully aware, we are spinning and spiraling towards Joffrey's end, and perhaps it's something we want. Uh, we have got uh, in terms of foreshadowing things with more meaning, just the impact on the story. Um, big ones with Rob striking a deal with the phrase, those wonderful sons, Black Walder and his brother coming in here, and and Rob, we know his fate is sealed. Um, Jamie being released by the Boltons. Uh, and even Jamie kind of asks Roose Bolton here, you know, why, you know, yeah, yeah, you, you should send me to Rob. You haven't. Why? Instead, you're here watching me fail at dinner. Why? That is a big clue. I, I, I don't know where you were in 2013, if you were a show-only person at that point. I I got to admit, I, 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 I don't, it wasn't that I thought Roose Bolton was a nice guy. <laughs> Just misunderstood. He never did sit right with me, but they do a good job in season two of kind of painting Roose Bolton as uh, someone who's there for Rob, is willing to do what Rob needs to do, and, you know, a dark, moody, somber guy, but seems like the, the Boltons are, and we don't know who Ramsey is at this point. Again, show only. You might have a different uh, view if you've read the books, all that kind of stuff. I get it, but if you're just watching along, the connection's uh, maybe not as, uh, you know, Prevalent to you as, as it might be for others. I get it. Um, even though Roos in season two has some big clues of what he's going to have his son do. But it's this episode that, yeah, now, now you, it has an impact on the story going forward. Now you're starting to really see it. And now you can look back. If you miss it, you can still look back at the stuff going on with Roos in this scene. And uh, I love uh, Melisandre showing up to meet with the Brotherhood. It's, it's this kind of... Um, you know, almost this random one-off kind of interaction there. Uh, talk about some of my favorite scenes, but... Alessandra and Arya, you know, eyes will shut forever. We'll meet again. Um, Melisandre, you know, just t telling Arya about uh, all the eyes she'll, she'll shut. Clearly, after season eight, has a ton more meaning. Uh, you can argue, you know, was this, how, how far back was this meant to be? I, I think it was a bit of an adjustment, um, for sure. But I think it lands. And I think this... This is what we're doing. This we're going back, and for me, go, eight season completed. I look back at this um, episode, this moment, and and it, and it just it's fun. It's fun. It's not even that it means more now. It's just fun to see, and fun to see what's coming. Uh, so that's there, and also Mel. Um, there's uh, some other stuff there. Uh, you know, small moments. Ro Roose Bolton saying, "I don't partake of the alcohol." Funny little moment here because Jamie's got to dig back at, back at at him. But what Jamie says about you know not trusting people who don't drink. That's something we all should have listened to. Catelyn Stark finds that out 
in a bad way later on. And then uh, Melisandre meeting Beric Dondarrion and uh, the conversation with Thoros Amir. I love all that for what it means for Jon Snow and her lack of belief, the way she struggles. She doesn't necessarily even believe now. And Thoros Amir has a... Some great words. Paul Kay's great in this episode, but just talking about how he said the words, but he didn't believe them. And I think it's interesting to, to see Melisandre kind of um, reacting to this uh, this news that uh, Beric's been brought back, not just once, but many times. It's, um, it's shock on Melisandre's face because, again, up until this point, we've seen her do some wonderful things. She hasn't had the conversation with Solis in the bathtub admitting that eh, some of the things she does are little uh, little uh, put-ons or fake their potions to make things seem uh, make her seem more powerful than she is. It's a, it's a trick on men to, uh, to, to hold on to her power or move uh, bend them to her will. We haven't really got that yet. Up until now, Melisandre's uh, delivered on a lot of things promised, um, and she is uh, a threat, and uh, she is uh, poisoning the well with Stannis. There's a lot of things going on. And this is, uh, talking about, again, things with more meaning, looking at this episode, watching her, it's, it's awe, but I think it's a lot of shock, and I think it's her own level of disbelief and wanting to know. You've been on the other side. Beric Jondarian, uh, Richard Dormer, that great line, oh, the, other, the other side, there is no other side, only darkness. To have that, it, it's the first time I think we see a little bit of a crack in the, uh, in the facade that is Melisandre. So, love that scene. And uh, final one, I mentioned it, but um, uh, one of the ones, I, I don't know quite when I really picked it up. Obviously, after season four is when it really comes into play. Again, if you're... If you're um, uh, a show only or, or the shows leading the way for you through the song of an, an Ice and Fire world. But uh, the whole thing with Shay and Sansa, it, it, the highlight of, of the episode clearly is uh, the focus is Tyrion coming in to, to deliver the news. But Sansa's picking out her dress that she'll wear to the, the, the Marjorie uh, Joffrey wedding and, and she spends a lot of time talking about the necklace. And uh, as we all know, that will not be the necklace she wears to the wedding. So uh, we love, uh, before we uh, uh, get into a lot of these scenes and lessons here today, I love to hear from all of you. If you want to add to the conversation every week, uh, I uh, sometimes, uh, a lot of times, pre-tape these episodes. We've been on a week-to-week schedule for now, but just in case, uh, you, you, you can hashtag any, use hashtag CasterlyTalk on Twitter and just let me know. Uh, like uh, Ranger Donald, who wrote in uh, saying, Season 3, Episode 6, S3E6. Couple things he wanted to say about it. We get some of the best power versus power scenes in the entire series in this episode, says Donald. Tywin versus Elena. Varys versus Littlefinger. All masters of playing the game to get what's best for them or their family, with each trying to top uh, one up each other. Uh, especially when Elena brings up the rumors of Jamie and Cersei, when, when, with Tywin showing signs that he knows it's true, but he chooses to believe all the lies, which mirrors the, the Robert's theory that he makes himself uh, believe a lie about Lyanna because he can't face the real truth. Yeah, I love that too. And it, speaking of uh, speaking of Tywin and, and how much I do enjoy Tywin, but I uh, love studying his faults and foibles and mistakes and, and just uh, the evil sides of him here. Yeah, he, he can't face the truth. It's, it's his one thing. It's his... Uh, Failure is apparent. It's what gets him killed. It's what Cersei thinks trying to say to him early in this season. You want to protect your legacy. You want to protect this dynasty or this dynasty, as they say. Um, I'm the one to do it. I'm the one listening. And he won't. He treats her as property. He treats her as a woman. He treats her less than. Um, he protects the name, but it's the Lannister name, not the names of Cersei, Jamie, and Tyrion. He doesn't care at one word. One bit about them. It's the name, the house that Tywin's protecting. So he just cannot face the truth. I've always taken it that Tywin deep down knows. I think Cersei says that directly to him later on. But I, I've always taken by by this time. He just can't deny it. It makes probably too much sense. But it's also not just a denial of, 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 of a truth. Um, it, it is something that he can't. He, he acknowledges with Elena. All right. Great, Elena. It's true. But what does that mean? That means Joffrey's not the king, which means your Marjorie won't be the queen. So what are we going to do? Uh, which ties again into some of the stuff with Baelish at the end. What's the realm? What is the realm? Uh, we, we, we tell us the story of Aegon uh, melted, uh, melted down thousands of blades to make this throne. It's 200. Now, that is show only we know. And the book... 
It's described as the throne is high above, and it is a thousand swords, which is fine. I I, I think uh, that would have been maybe fun to see, but it would not have been practical for the show. It would not have fit into any budget constraints. And I think this episode, almost a side tangent here, I apologize, but I think Baelish explaining that the show throne is very different as described. It's similar to how this season starts with uh, Cersei talking about um, talking about Tyrion's nose, because in the book his nose is pretty much off, removed. He's, he's more hideous than you can imagine, and they're not going to do that on the show. They're not going to do that with Tyrion, uh, with Peter Dinklage. So she addresses it. Oh, I heard you lost your nose. It's not as bad as I've seen. I love when they kind of play with it. They did it with Sir Barristan uh, Selmy last week, right? Uh, the head of the Kingsguard should be on the small council. That's the way it's got. He's not on the show. So they use that and they spin it off into a great little plot point with Jorah, who now knows maybe Barristan doesn't know his secret that Jorah was once a spy for Varys, a spying on Danny. So I think the show knows it sometimes has to do different things than the books. So... How can you spin that off in a very productive way for your story? This is one of my favorite examples of that. It's not a thousand blades. It's probably not even 200. But this is the story we tell ourselves. This is the lies we believe. Varys has this thought that, you know, without those lies, we have chaos. We'll get to that. Um, But you have to hold on to this. Everyone's holding on to this. And it's not necessarily a great thing is what Baelish is saying. And I think Tywin is holding on to the lie he's telling himself. He has to. He has to for a lot of reasons. So power versus power. Varys, Littlefinger, Tywin, Elena. There's a lot of one-on-one scenes in this episode. So let's take a quick little pause. If you're watching along on YouTube, cheers to you. Let's talk about some themes and lessons here in episode... Six of season three, The Climb in Game of Thrones. All right, let's get into the themes and lessons of the 26th episode overall. I was looking at this episode, and you're trying to see what jumps out. You're trying to see what is the connective thread. What is this episode trying to tell you? And that's where this idea of the, the pieces being moved around the board, just actually it actually seems like chaos to me. We have a lot of characters um, in, in bad spots, or they think they're in bad spots, or they think they're in the spot that they want to be in, but really they're not. A lot of truths out there to discover. We've didn't deal, dealt with that on the show a lot. Um... We know that, what's really inside you, who you really are. Big themes all through Game of Thrones. But this particular episode, it's called The Climb. It's not called Chaos. It's not called Chaos as a Ladder. It's The Climb. And I love how the the wall is used as a symbol for perhaps everyone and this ladder that everyone is climbing in Game of Thrones. There's themes to be found within that, but uh, Sam and Gilly start us out. Sam is uh, adorable in his own way. Reveals he's got the dragon glass. He's got a blade to slay a dragon, essentially. Uh, it's a fairy tale. He doesn't even know if it's real, um, but he has it. So to me, there's a, there's a theme there of uh, what you uh, have already is what you need. And you don't often think that he doesn't know. Sam doesn't know that he's in the right spot or he has the right tool. Um, he's still got to find that out. But beyond that, though, uh, Gilly is saying, is the wall as big as they say? They have a conversation about the wall. Uh, we um, also jump from that to uh, a, a verbal duel with Mira and Osha. And they are um, in a spot where they need to work together because they are all they have. There's chaos amongst them. Uh, Mira and Osha are having a, a fight. They're not getting along so far. We know that. But uh, Bran says at one point, we can't fight each other. We'll never make it to the wall. Egret then says with John early on, great scene with uh, her, John, the you're my woman now. We'll talk about that. But she says, I've waited my whole life to see the world from up there. The wall is this episode because the climb of the wall, getting to the wall on the other side of the wall. um, Jojen has a vision of Jon Snow. He's on the wrong side of the wall, surrounded by the wrong people. Chaos is, uh, uh, is looming. 
But that climb, the wall, is big in all the stories here. It's this uh, virtual wall, if you will, a metaphorical wall. But we also have the actual wall to climb. And I think out of this episode, out of this first scene, Sam and Gilly being the first scene is a really interesting, very quiet scene. It's a very small scene. They don't even move, right? Talking about moving pieces for this episode, they don't even move. They're right there. They're at the camp. They don't get moved until next episode. Or the next time we see them, right? Um, but this is uh, the fact that you are already where you need to be. You're already on the direction whether you, you feel it or not. Now, Sam need, Sam knows that he need to get to the wall, but he's going to find out he gets there for a lot of different reasons. Um, so I love that there. I love that stuff. Again, it's small with Mira and Osha. We don't get a lot with them, um, unfortunately, but uh, I... Um, I, uh, I I love that scene, and I, I love uh, just Brand putting a, putting it uh, out there. We can't fight each other. What you have, us, it's already what we need. This is all we need. There's this theme again. Um, now, Egret and John, great conversation. Um, a great conversation about their budding relationship and, and things in the past, I guess you could say. Uh, I see this, again, going to this idea that this is all... It's all chaos right now. Everything going on is chaos. Everyone is all over the map, literally. Um, and you gotta if, if if you have this question of you know, hey, do you are you aware that you already have what you need uh, on the path? I I see Egret. There's a lie she's tr- probably telling herself about John, but she addresses it. And, I, and because she addresses it, I don't think it's um, I don't think she's believing in the lie. I think Egret sees the situation. She wants to use it. Don't ever betray me. But John kind of can't see it. John's still on his own hero's journey. It's interesting. And, and these are nothing I'm saying here is, uh, is, uh, is fact. This is just me looking at a scene and, and trying to engage with it here. Um, on the surface, it, the plot of it is Egret knows he's, he's uh, you know, he, he's probably still a crow. You can't just dump that. She wants to believe he can. She probably is already probably thinking they never should have left the, the cave. But she sees the actual situation. She's not going to, um, uh, she's not going to, uh, the, the idea that John, uh, it, it might be a crow doesn't, it matters, but it doesn't matter to her other, other than just don't betray me. We are together. I'm your woman. Uh, you're my man, right? It's a, it's a country western ballad here. Uh, um, so it's a powerful moment. It's a powerful declaration uh, of, of, of it's us versus them. And that doesn't stick. That doesn't stay. And he does betray her in a way. I mean, quite frankly, just betrays her. But um, we kind of already saw that coming. But I think she she was fighting against that. It was, so it's not quite the same as, as Tywin not facing his truth about his kids. Uh, I think Egret sees the situation. Uh, Tormund has that great line about sink your metal deep and make sure it holds before you take your next step. Um, that's something I think Baelish would actually really respect if you're looking at the wall as, as a symbol for what everyone else is doing. It And uh, Baelish believes the, the climb is the only thing that's real. This is great advice. It, it might be chaotic. It might be dangerous. But when you make your move, sink that uh, metal deep to make sure that's the right move and then make it. Um, so I think it do, does kind of uh, tie together a little bit there with uh, Egret seeing the actual truth of the situation Maybe she doesn't have a grip on what to make, uh, what what to, what what to climb up to next. Um, they're going to find out though once they get to that wall. It's a dangerous climb. I love uh, all the stuff going on here with uh, the archer and Arya. Uh, Arya, Arya learning to uh, you know learning a little bit better, uh, but Archer telling her you're not as good as you think you are. Um, your eye knows where it wants to go. Trust your eye. I uh, love that just as a, as a little bit of a life, life lesson and everything that's going forward. And, and if you're talking about the climb and you don't know the climb's not clear, you, you, you know, you want to aim. Uh, you want to you want to know exactly where you're going. Sink that metal deep. Yes. But uh, sometimes you're not going to know. Uh, just trust. Just trust your eye. Just trust. Don't aim. Just go. Just go. Uh, but this leads into the great scene with Melisandre showing up and you feel for Gendry here. But there's there's also another example of someone who. Uh, has more than he needs. He just doesn't know it. He's not aware. Uh, the Brotherhood is uh, climbing in the chaos, too. This idea, again, chaos running all through this episode. Uh, I love this idea of, of the Brotherhood uh, doing something both for the Lord of Light, but also for gold. And uh, that's what's real. Everything else they probably consider an illusion, but the gold is very real. Side conversation on this here uh, is this uh, idea of the Lord of Light. 
Uh, and I remember having these conversations, particularly with Lon and uh, Lon Harris and Rachel Cushing, leading into uh, season eight and wondering what's going to happen. One of the, and this was something that was, um, we brought up a lot of, uh, you know, of all these religions in uh, this uh, world, Westeros, Essos, and beyond. Is there one that works? There's a lot of things of, you know, a lot of prophecies are uh, put put forth in this story that are interpreted differently. Some prophecies just might be wrong. Some might be off base. Some just might be what you make of it. A red comet means something for everybody. This we know. But the question always came back to the idea of, is the Lord of Light, is is R'hllor, is this religion, is this the one that might actually be true? I think you could point to some stuff in the past with the old gods and the trillion of the forest. Yeah, but it's so far gone. Who knows about that there? Who knows if those powers still exist if they do at all? Magic has returned to the land. Magic isn't necessarily religion. It's not necessarily a god. Uh, the Lord of Light seems to be the only one delivering until I think the Night King emerges. And then that's the story. Uh, it's the War for the Dawn right there. So I love this particular episode. If you if you want to get deep into the uh, uh, religions of Westeros, and as I always say, re I recommend going to some of those other uh, channels and podcasts, uh, History of Westeros, all this kind of stuff. Uh, look for them on YouTube that probably, you know, have spent a lot of time diving into the religions of Westeros and what, what is true. I've always believed the seven gods, not true. Seven-pointed star, uh, old, uh, the new gods, nah, nah, nah. I don't believe them for a second. A power structure, perhaps, uh, to hold on, uh, to hold people down below. It, it's probably inspiration. It serves. It's what it does. But uh, I, I do, I come down on the side of Whatever the Lord of Light's got going on, I consider that. Dark magic or not, I don't know. But I consider it the one to be uh, perhaps the most uh, the most effective, we'll just say. Uh, so love seeing that again. And I, I'm really, I, I love the idea of Melisandre um, being a little shocked at the success of some of it. Because she's been around so long and probably seen a lot of things that have worked. I also love the side note too of uh, the high uh, the high priest sending uh, Thoros out, and she's kind of like Thoros, what the hell happened, man? You had an assignment. Did did it work? She knows the answer, but did it work? Nah, I failed. I love that line there. Uh, Roos is climbing in the chaos. Roos Bolton is definitely climbing in the chaos. Uh, he is uh, making a move here. Um, but uh, what about his son, Ramsey and Rig? Uh, pure chaos. It's a tough scene to watch. Of all the scenes, this is that 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 flaying of the pinky gets me every time. I'm screaming at the screen. Uh, Reek, Theon, give, give up, give it up. Uh, this is the scene where where Ramsey is trying to get him to. And again, for the show, we don't yet know it's Ramsey. We don't know that yet. So you might be trying to figure it out. He tries to get Theon to guess it. Theon uh, settles on the Karstarks after um, a funny moment where, you know, Umber's and Ramsey's like, do I look like a fucking Umber? Which, uh, considering how much, hey, we end up working with the Umber's is funny to me, too. Settle on the Karstarks. Um, and, you know, it's fresh in our mind. We've just last week seen Rickard Karstark uh, beheaded. So we're familiar with that name. We've heard it. So when Theon says it, I think as an audience, if you're completely unaware of who Ramsey is uh, and what's going on, I think you might buy it. I think for that second you buy it. Um, but it's chaos and uh, total chaos there. And I thought Ramsey's his two memorable quotes. We'll talk about one in a bit here. But Ramsey's just absolutely plays with Theon's mind as he, as he does. Yep, you're right. I'm a car Stark. How'd you guess? Did you see the banners coming in here? No. And then when he reveals, no, that's not the truth, it says, you forgot to ask the right question. It's brutal. I'm not saying Theon needs to learn that lesson, but it's I that that lesson popped out to me too, of what the, uh, you forgot to ask the right question and how, um, how we think to go forward, uh, what we think we need to do to go forward. Might not be the way to go forward. And I think in a roundabout way, I say that ties in a little bit what Baelish is saying. Uh, the fall breaks in people um, and you got to know how to climb. Uh, we also have uh, uh, Loris and Sansa. And I'm skipping over Tywin and Elena, Elena here, which is this great blow by blow, just verbal duel. Uh, but Loris and Sansa, Sansa is only seeing what she hopes for and not what is really happening. We know. We have the benefit of knowing Loris here. And it's a fun scene. Um, Finn Jones plays it so well. I, I love everything about it. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a pendant. It's not a pin. It's a brooch. I mean, yeah, and he's just, he's poor Loris. Uh, but poor Sansa. She can't really see uh, the truth. Um, it's not a lie. She's not even holding on to a lie. She can't even see the lie. 
she's only hoping for uh, you know what she actually wants and um, not as not seeing what is really happening. She's not asking the right questions. Stan says, "Chaos, chaos is a ladder." A lot of things uh, as we wrap up a kind of a scene by scene look at um, at what's going on here. But uh, before we get to the big one here. Uh, Cersei and Tyrion, uh, the revelation, uh, that, uh, it wasn't Cersei that tried to have him killed. It's, it's Tyrion. And it's almost as if Tyrion's seeing, seeing now a truth. And, uh, you know, to me, that's a little shocking that it would have been any kind of surprise to him that Joffrey would have had him killed. But, uh, Tyrion sees it. The game is still going on. Uh, this slides into, um, the great scene with Tyrion and Sansa, um, I mean, that seems into the great scene with uh, Varys and Baelish uh, and their wonderful stories. Uh, also, side note, I love I love Varys saying, who doesn't like to see their friends fail now and then? Mm. But it turns very real, very quick. Uh, Baelish saying, the realm, do you know what the realm is? And going into this whole thing about um, chaos is this clearly this theme. It's a strategy from Baelish. Uh, Baelish and we know he, he sowed it from the beginning. And I love, I love when that reveal finally comes. I don't care whether you, you learned it in the books or learned it in the show. When you finally learn that all of this kind of began, the chaos began with Baelish, it makes a lot of sense. And why? Just to watch the world burn, just to burn it all down so he could rule the ashes. Um, I love that about Baelish. It's, uh, it's uh, I'm not saying I root for him, but it's, it's great. And this, uh, this, this moment, uh, Varys always never, he never wavers from this, right? To the bitter end. Talk about things with more meaning. When you hear ba- uh, Varys now say he does it for the realm, you believe it. And you know it's going to cost him his life. Uh, without the lies, uh, what do we have? It's chaos. And it's a pit. Uh, and then Baelish's great line. The speech you too should clip out Aiden Gillen saying it and put it in your car to motivate you. <laughs> chaos isn't a pit, chaos is a ladder. Many who try to climb it fall and never get to try again. The fall breaks them. We get to reveal that Roz is now dead. And some are given the chance to climb. We're on Sansa now, but they refuse. They cling to the realm or the gods or love. Illusions. Only the ladder is real. The climb is all there is. Oh, it's a great thing. And looking back now, this episode is very poignant. It's very purposeful. Uh, It's moving pieces around, but it's saying that the moving of the pieces is kind of it. It's not the end. It's the climb. That's what we're watching. That's why we're here. And that's what these characters are trying to do. That's what we're trying to do. It could be a bit of a nihilistic view, cynical view. Or just a pure evil view from Baelish. Um, not saying gods or religions aren't real. I'm not saying love isn't real. I'm not just writing it all off as illusions. But it's all just things, states of mind, states of beings, things that happened, plots in our own life. And we all want it to get somewhere. We all have hopes like Sansa. We all want, don't want to face truths like Tywin or discover truths we may be suspected like Tyrion. Um, we want the answers like Reek because we're in horrible pain. We want to move forward. We want to survive. We want to just get to the wall like Sam and Gilly. We want to get beyond the wall like Bran and Osha, Mira and Jojen and Hodor. We all want that. But those are these destinations. Really, this truly is all about the climb. I'm not saying I find my own inspiration from Baelish's speech. Again, it's at best cynical. At worst, uh, Maybe pure evil. Um, but also, I think it's true. Uh, opportunity, right? Opportunity, chaos, a ladder. You might only get one chance to climb it. But it's all we got. And I'm not just talking about corporate success or promotions, career, love. I'm just talking about existing. We only get one chance to climb it. The fall might break you, but you got to get back up and try again. You might be hanging by an absolute wire. That climbing scene, I'm almost, I almost have, I don't have too much to say about the climbing scene other than it plays out so perfectly. And in an episode that starts out by everyone talking about the wall, talking about wanting to see the top of the wall, looking out in the world from up there. Do we got to get beyond it? We got to get below it. 
we all have this wall. And for this episode to end with this this speech and the climb end, I think it's beautiful. I think it's Game of Thrones poetry. And it doesn't, it does, this episode, this moment, the sequence hasn't just stood the test of time for me. It's, it's grown in purpose. It's grown in importance. There's a lot of little things all the way through it, little favorite moments and scenes I love. Uh, Sam dropping the name of Darian, the singer of the wall. That uh, ends up being more of a book character, but fun reference. I do love the Melisandre and Thoros exchange. I could go in it all day. I just just same with the, the, the time when Elena won is, is, is absolutely better, but uh, has more impact, I should say. But uh, the Melisandre and Thoros, I love their interactions. Uh, and I love Thoros just simply saying, I failed. Um, but also just, again, Paul K. is so great. Talking about Barrack and talking about belief. And you talk about chaos and the climb. Thoros has got all these things in his head. He's got the right words to say. He knows it. He just says it. But he, does, he says, it, I, he says in, the, in this episode, I, I didn't say those words because I knew what I was doing or believed. He was my friend. And he was dead. I find that scene, I find it moving, particularly moving, quite frankly, with Thoros. Um... And speaking about uh, why he did it and the connection. And, and maybe later on, Melisandre, why? Why is she doing it? She can't maybe bring Jon Snow back right away because um, this spirit of he was my friend and he was dead is definitely not there. And uh, I think later on, Melisandre finds a purpose. She believes she has a purpose. What she does in season eight and, and comes back has a purpose. And perhaps um, some of this scene maybe clicked in with her. Maybe. I don't know. We uh, would be remiss to not discuss uh, Ramsey Bolton saying, if you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. Um, that was a line that uh, became very popular right away, but also was a line that was often used uh, going out into season six, seven, and eight, particularly season eight. And I think particularly coming out of season eight, if you didn't enjoy season eight, if you didn't enjoy that it uh, didn't end with a big happy party with peace across the land, um, a lot of people went back to this line. Uh, funny little moment. Edmer's uh, reaction to the wedding arrangement, him uh, now having to marry a fray. Uh, we know that's not going to turn out good for anybody, but uh, just a uh, uh, great reaction there. Um, so clueless. Uh, and then in that whole scene, the blackfish, uh, Brendan Tully, the lords of my fist are about to compel your teeth. Love that one there. Uh, we always like to highlight episode stars, so let's highlight uh, Charles Dance and uh, late Diana Rick. Uh, Tywin versus Olena Tyrell, the Queen of Thorns ah, versus uh, the powerful Man of Gold. Man, God, it's just the best. And she loses this round, but she's going to get a big win pretty soon here. Tell Cersei it was me. I uh, love everything about it. Watch that, watch that scene over and over again. It's a jab, it's a jab, it's a jab. And it's all these truths. And then they, they too, have to kind of... Um, they 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 have to use the lies, right? They're afraid. Um, I wonder what Baelish would say about it. Baelish is just eating it all up. This we know. Varys talks about without the lies we have uh, chaos, and chaos is a pit. Um, without the lies, Tywin is in a pit. Without the lies, Olena might be in a pit. So they must hold on to them and use them and try to just concentrate on the climb. And I think they're two characters. Talk uh, down along. And his tweet to the show here talked about power versus power and power being power. I think uh, both these two characters uh, do what they need to do to move forward and show their own kind of power. So that is why it's a great scene. Shout out to them. And we want to do an ode to Esme Bianco, uh, who was, again, Roz. Um, if you didn't follow her personal story in, in life, it, uh, she recently revealed um, a lot of... Uh, uh, abuse, sexual assault, human trafficking, a lot of things at the hands of uh, her uh, former boyfriend, uh, who we all know is Marilyn Manson. Um, she came out with that, and uh, um, it, it not only do I have a lot of respect for her and hope uh, she continues to get the healing she needs, and if you follow her, she has uh, uh, some organizations that uh, champion that, that, trauma recovery and assault recovery and survivor's recovery. Uh, so, you know, as the Game of Thrones family, we should... Uh, be proud of where she is and support her on her journey. And she's just such a, she's a wonderful performer. And again, Roz was this pilot episode character. And eh, what are we going to do? And eh, she, she made an impact and they continued the character. She's not a book character. Um, so it's a, it's a, a death that uh, is disturbing in a way. It's a death that in terms of Game of Thrones deaths is memorable. 
Uh, and it's a character that's only around for a short amount of time. But uh, Esme Bianco, uh, I, I think, deserves all the credit in the world for uh, who she is as a person and uh, what she was brave enough to do in the real world uh, to say and uh, also uh, just for contributions to the show. So uh, tip the cap to her as she heads on out on the show. There it is. That's my look at The Climb. That's right. The Climb Season 3, Episode 6. What do you think about the episode? Let me know. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment, uh, like, subscribe, uh, all those wonderful things. We're going to start to build out the Castly Talk YouTube channel here. We are part of the Good People Association, and our podcast is available uh, wherever you can find podcasts. If you've been subscribed for a while, it's in the same spot. But don't forget, we're part of a Blue Wire and the Good People Association Podcast Network. If you are uh, watching here right now in uh, September and October of 2021, we have a Kickstarter going for uh, uh, Good People Association and our board game Futility, the actual game of living. Link down below if you'd like to support. We're over 70% supported, racing towards our 100% support goal but we're going to want to go beyond hit some of those stretch goals. So uh, check it out. Just search Futility on Kickstarter if you're listening on a podcast and want a direct link. You can follow me at Ken Napsock. As I said, if you have a question about anything related to Game of Thrones, use the hashtag CasterlyTalk as we start to build, expand, and uh, get ready for House of the Dragon. A little bit of casting confirmation news lately. Some things going on. Nothing too giant that I felt uh, deserves special attention. But when some news like that comes out, I guarantee you we will uh, be doing special Casterly Talk episodes. More shows on the way. Guests, panelists, all those kind of things. Um, we got it coming here, but you are in the right spot. Talk about chaos out there in the fandom world. It's all about the climb. So climb with us here at Casterly Talk. That is it for this week, my friends. We'll see you very soon. Bye.